power markets, the addition of battery storage to go along with renewable generation raises compelling opportunities, but also challenges. The extra capacity from battery storage helps shave peak demand and provide a resource when the sun stops shining or the wind stops blowing. As long as storage costs continue to decline or resiliency remains elusive, we are likely to see storage become more popular, particularly at the utility scale, according to conventional knowledge. And more and more developers are starting to pair renewables with batteries at the same location in a hybrid configuration. Is this a good idea? Not so fast, says Will Gorman, a researcher at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. Will was lead author on a definitive paper funded by the U.S. Department of Energy to explore the motivations and options of deploying hybrid generator plus battery projects within the bulk power system. This is the subject we'll be exploring today on the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. Located in New York City, I'm your host, Jason Price of West Monroe in the Energy and Utilities Practice. And in Orlando, Florida, is Matt Chester, Community Manager at Energy Central. Hi, Matt. How are you doing today? And are you ready to meet our next guest? Thanks, Jason. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. And the reason I'm doing great is because I'm so excited to hear about the excellent insights from our next guest. I think our listeners are in for a treat this week. I second that. Let's bring him in. Will Gorman, welcome to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, Jason and Matt. I'm really excited to be speaking with you all today, and I hope uh, folks find this content really interesting. Will, you have an impressive background. You are a graduate student researcher in the Electricity Markets and Policy Department at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. Your research focuses on the economics of distributed energy resources, the integration of variable generation into the electric power system, and the impact of autonomous and electric vehicles on energy systems. You've had your research published in Applied Energy, Energy Policy, and Utilities Policy. Previously, you worked with the utilities practice at the Brattle Group, an economic consulting firm where you focused on electricity market and retail rate design. Will, how about breaking down for our listeners the subject of your hybrid generator plus battery paper and its key takeaways? Of course, uh, I'd, I'd be happy to. So the goal of our paper was to take an initial look into this new commercial trend that we had been seeing in the utility scale generation space where batteries and generators have started to be co-located, the so-called hybrid project that you've been referring to. And you can find kind of the detailed breakdowns of the commercial activity in the paper itself. But, but one of the big takeaways from this research was that 25% of all solar projects in the largest market queues in the United States are being paired with batteries right now, which is a pretty large amount and something that we were surprised by. And so the heart of what we were trying to understand in this paper is, why are developers doing this? Why are they pairing these two technologies at the same site? And I think the reason we were a little bit surprised is because the conventional wisdom in the electricity sector over the last 10 years was, think about storage and generation resources independently and site them where it makes the most sense for the system as a whole. So that means site batteries where things are congested, site generators where there's fuel access, or maybe you know the wind is blowing really strongly or the sun is shining you know, in the Southwest. You know, so in the location there, it makes sense. And then the transmission network vis-a-vis -vis the balancing authorities will do the work to make sure that you know, everything is balanced on the system. 
that load you know, or demand is equal to generation. But the commercial activity we've been seeing implies that either this conventional wisdom is wrong, so we've been thinking about this problem incorrectly, or there are some other incentives moving developers into this hybrid project formation. And so for the study, uh, one of the big takeaways when we were engaging with developers was that the biggest driver of the current interest is taking advantage of the investment tax credit, or the ITC, which standalone storage systems do not qualify for. Additionally, in the study, we document where in the United States, developers are showing the most interest in this co-location approach rather than independently citing these technologies. And there does appear to be some correlation in market price trends and the population of these hybrids, uh, which I'd be happy to dive into to deeper in our conversation. But overall, I think one of the biggest takeaways is that there's a growing belief that the whole, so that is co-locating generators and batteries, the whole project is greater than maybe the sum of its constituent parts. So the batteries and generators being cited independently. And that's something that I think uh, will be a very interesting trend to follow in the coming in the coming years. Now, Will, b before moving on, I'd love to hear more about the correlation between market prices and hybrid implementation that you just mentioned. You know, what sort of measurable impact does the market price have on on hybrid projects, and you know, what exactly can or should the utility industry be doing with that information? Yeah, no, I think I think this is a really interesting question. And, you know, it allows me the opportunity to talk about the uh, notorious duck curve, you know, which everyone uh, likes to talk about in California. And so in, in the paper, we look into dispatching one of these hybrid projects uh, in a California context and in a Texas context. And when we did that, we found that there was significantly more market value for, for arbitraging prices in California as compared to Texas. And that was mainly because when the sun peaks in the middle of the day in California, where there's a huge percentage of energy being generated by solar, the market prices are severely depressed. And this is kind of the perfect storm for a battery because it will soak up that energy during those low priced hours and then shift it to later in the evening when the solar isn't being generated and take advantage of that price spread. And that pie spread um, is just much larger in California than, than in Texas. And then, then therefore, what we've been seeing is that the interest in hybrid projects is by far highest in CAISO, and so the California Independent System Operator. And so we found that there's no doubt that developers have been looking at these trends in market prices to see where these particular hybrid projects might be most, most interesting. Okay. Will, is one of your conclusions that we're not in the clear economically with the hybrid model because of the PPA may be so low that the investment may not pay off? Kind of like the equivalent of the cost of extracting a gallon of oil is more expensive than what we can sell it for in the open market? So yes, yeah, so that, that's a really interesting point, Jason. And it's not one that I've really thought about in, in that way that you've, you've framed it, but it could be a driver. So you're absolutely right that Another big finding of our paper is that PPA prices for hybrid projects have come down dramatically over the last five years. And so on the one hand, you would think that developers of those projects are getting paid less and you know, potentially, as you mentioned, might not economically pencil out. But the fact of the matter is 
part of the reason that those PPA prices have declined is because the cost of those technologies have declined. And so based on some contract price information, just to kind of clear up what these declines have looked like over the past five years, based on contract price information for 23 of the 109 online and in the developed pipeline for these solar battery hybrid projects, we found that prices have fallen from $40 to $70 per megawatt hour in 2017 to $20 to $30 per megawatt hour in 2018 and 2019. So this is roughly a halving of prices in just a few years, which is pretty crazy. And that trend has followed the same path of declining costs for wind, solar, and batteries, as I mentioned. But to kind of get back to your original point, I don't know if these declines in PPA prices is necessarily just an issue for hybrid projects. So as I mentioned, one of the reasons for this decline is a corresponding reduction in costs, which developers can take advantage of. But the other driver has just been a general reduction in wholesale market prices. And lower wholesale market prices make it difficult for any technology who's competing in those markets to reap large payoffs. Basically, what I'm saying is these low PPA prices are not just a hybrid story, but a whole utility scale generation story that developers and independent power producers across the space will be and have been grappling with over the past couple of years. So, Will... You mentioned earlier the investment tax credits. Can can you talk more about how how those might come into play? You know, they're not for hybrids specifically, but if hybrids are taking advantage and that's making them economically viable, how relevant is that now and and potentially moving forward for when you know those tax credits might eventually be removed from the market? Yeah. So the investment tax credit story is somewhat interesting. So let me just quickly describe what this advantage is for for those listeners who might not be aware, and then go forward with answering your question. So the investment tax credit, uh, which I think most people may be familiar with in the context of installing a solar generator project, is a capital cost reduction upfront that roughly equals 30% of the total cost of the project. And in the tax code, there is actually a portion which specifies that if you connect a storage or a battery unit to that solar project and you charge that battery at least 75% of its energy from the solar or renewable generator, you can also apply that capital cost reduction to the cost of the battery. And so that's a pretty huge incentive to to co-locate storage and constrain that storage to charge from the solar generator. And that incentive is notably not available for standalone storage projects. So if you independently site these projects and charge them from the grid, you don't get access to that 30% cost reduction. And that is a huge incentive to do this co-location, but some would argue it is particularly an inefficient incentive because there's no reason from the system perspective, to to necessarily co-locate these uh, plants together. And so to to answer your question about the fact that these incentives are expected to decline over the next couple of years, I think this will be an important story to follow for hybrid projects, to say that in two, three, four years, as that incentive winds down from 30% to 10%, if this trend we see slows down significantly. Because if it does, that basically means there's not much of a 
you know, system level incentive to hybridize these projects, but that it was all just a tax credit ploy. Uh, and that will be a very important realization, I think, for, for the sector. Will, let's come back to the topic of your paper. So we're talking about hybrid generation. So what do you think the future holds for hybrid generation? And what do you feel it will take to make it economically feasible for large-scale producers and utilities to invest in hybrid generation? Yeah, so this this is really the critical question uh, and one we've kind of ex- explored in a few earlier of the discussions. But I think right now I'm going to give you know potentially a, a wishy-washy answer, which is it's it's somewhat of an open question. And so in our study, we found that there were two main pros of hybridization. And the first pro is reducing project costs, and the second is potentially enhancing market value. And so on the cost front. We've talked about the investment tax credit, so that's a, a pro for hybridization, at least right now. But there's also opportunities for these projects to take advantage of synergies associated with permitting, siting, equipment, interconnection, transmission, and transaction costs. So, so by co-locating these systems, you potentially can reduce costs on all of these different fronts. And, and those synergies are important, and they're going to be important for developers who are potentially thinking and investing in these technologies. And then on the value side, these projects might be able to provide more services to the system than a standalone storage unit, which is energy limited, and a renewable generator, which is variable, what they could do on their own. And so those services that they can provide in this hybrid formation could potentially increase revenues. So those are the pros. And so those those are the pros that developers are going to think about when thinking about investing in, in these technologies. But these pros are contrasted with some pretty significant cons. And it's these cons that developers and utilities are going to have to weigh with, with the pros that I just mentioned. And we, and we think and we found the two biggest cons of these hybrid projects is that when you pair them in this hybrid convi- configuration, it can in- increase constraints on the operation of the battery and the siting of the battery. So to, to break that out in a little bit more detail, you know, when you pair this battery to solar and you constrain it to only be charged from that solar plant, there are time periods where the price of electricity might be really low on the grid and the battery would like to charge from that low priced electricity, but it can't because it's being constrained to charge from solar. So that's a pretty significant con, you might think. Uh, and and one that developers will have to weigh. The other con, which I think we find is potentially a much more significant con, is this siding constraint. And when you talk to developers and you talk to developers who are building battery projects, they really talk about how batteries really want to take advantage of high-priced hours because that's when they can sell their energy and make a huge profit margin on that arbitrage value. But when you site a battery where renewables are located, typically when you think of wholesale price trends, you think of renewables being located in depressed market price regions. So regions where prices don't spike high, but rather are priced low. And I think what we've been finding is that that constraint can significantly depress the, the value of that battery. And so, so that's, that's a really big con that 
developers will have to think about when making this future investment. Is it is are those pros that I mentioned earlier stronger than these cons? And if developers figure that out and find that the pros do outweigh the cons, we might see continued interest in these hybrid projects in the future. Thank you for that, Will. So when's paper number two coming out about this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you are right that this is a multi-year research effort. And the next kind of aspect of the research that's in the queue that I'm currently working on, you know, in quarantine is studying the siding constraint that I just mentioned. And I think we're hoping to, to write that up at the end of the summer or in the fall and then hopefully shoot that out either at the end of this year or sometime early next year. So you know, research does have a long time horizon. It's unfortunately not as quick as maybe people in the industry would, would like, but that is what we're targeting for. And I think you know, we'll, we'll hopefully have some interesting things to say about some of the topics I raised here about how big is that siding constraint, how big is that operational constraint. And uh, yeah, I would definitely suggest that listeners keep abreast of this work if they're interested in, in some of these questions that, that we've raised here. Fantastic. Well, we'll leave it at that. I wish to thank Will Gorman for his thought leadership and committed research in the energy field. You can always reach Will through the Energy Central platform, where he welcomes your questions and comments. I also want to thank our contributing partners of Energy Central, West Monroe. West Monroe works with the nation's largest utility-owned utilities in their telecommunication, grid modernization, and digital and workforce transformations. From defending a rate case to presenting a business case, West Monroe utilizes a multidisciplinary team that blends utility, operations, and technology expertise, covering topics like aging infrastructure, electric vehicles, AMI, MDM, and ADMS deployments and industry disruptors like DERs and cybersecurity. To ESRI, ESRI is an international supplier of geographic information, GIS software, web GIS, and geodatabase management applications. To GuideHouse, formerly Navigant, is a leading global provider of consulting services to the public and commercial markets with expertise in energy, sustainability, and infrastructure. And to SeaPower. At SeaPower, we help our customers make the decisions today that guide them across the bridge to energy's future. Where will your energy take you? For more information, visit SeaPower.com. Once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com. And see you next time at Energy Central's Power Perspectives podcast. <laughs>